0: I, I knew that was my cue. You know, she gives me about a five-second cue to get out of the chair and uh, get up here. And so when she said the real treat, I kind of hoped that was me, because I was on the way, <laughs> And whether it was or not. Um, glad you're here. I'm glad to see you all. Uh, I'm starting kind of a series. It's made for more. It's, I know it's Christmas time, but, uh, you know, when you're the pastor, your speaking in time is limited. I mean, you know, who remembers the olden days? When you went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, don't forget Sunday school, and then Wednesday night, and I was speaking at all those things that you're hours and hours. And back in the day, people used to preach for an hour or so, and nobody cared, and now not so much. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, so many snowbirds and so little freezer space. <laughs> and so when you're a pastor, there's so much to say and so little time to say it, and I know I'm on my uh, 37.5 minutes, even as we speak, because after all, something happens to the online uh, anyway. And so I'm starting a series, but every, it, sometimes series are buildings built on top of another. This is not that. Uh, I, I want to talk about made for more, uh, made <laughs> talk about uh, the continual search for more, more and more and more and more. It's, you know, people are looking for comfort, they're looking for perfection, they're looking for stuff. They're looking for approval. And today I want to talk about people that are looking for fame. And you can say, Pastor, that's not me. You might be surprised. You just might be surprised. Who remembers, the, the, like in the olden days? I'm just talking the olden days for those of you that are, you know, over 30. <laughs> Remember the olden days? To be famous, you had to make an achievement or do something spectacular. Maybe you had to break the four-minute mile, or you had to invent something, or you had to do something wonderful. Now it's just amazing. You can just be famous for being famous. I mean, you know, social media has really helped that. You can be an influencer, and maybe you've never done squat. Did I say squat? I didn't mean that. Maybe you've never done much at all. And it's amazing. Friends. Somebody said, would you like to be their friend? And I said, well, I suppose, but I don't know how much time I have. And they said, just click here wow, I've got so many friends that I never talk to. <laughs> so if you were waiting, uh, tell Jamie to get on with it. You know, but you got followers, and it used to be Jesus said, follow me, little did he know it was just a click, and uh, there you are, you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, we were always taught a little different than that, but uh, it's just amazing how the likes, and we like you to like us and all that kind of stuff. So most of you would say, oh, Delmer fame, that's not me. I'm not chasing fame. Uh, that's not that's, That doesn't apply to me. I never think I'm going to be world famous. And I'm not talking world famous. I, if I ask you, do you like credit for what you did? And you'd be adamant to say yes. Who's been in the office when your idea got spoken by somebody else and somebody else got the credit for your good idea? Anybody here like that? <laughs> when you're the pastor, that's all the time. I get to say all kinds of people's other ideas. And they say, wow, that guy's a real thinker. And I say, thank you, Roy Saplasky. I appreciate you thinking for me. <laughs> but the truth is, so I'm not talking about worldwide fame. I'm talking about your worldwide. I mean, you know, we all have different spheres of influence. And so I know you're maybe not chasing, you know, Starlet and all that kind of stuff on, on the big screen. But uh, it's, it's taking credit for what you've done. Uh, you don't call it fame. Uh, but I think that fame, if you're really good at what you do in your little world, I think fame is almost inevitable. If you're the best person at whatever it is in your office, in your assembly area, if you're really good at what you do, word on the on the work floor, word in the workplace is going to get around, and I think fame is almost uh, in- inevitable. And so I want to talk to us about how to deal with some sort of fame. It may be on a large scale, it may be on a small scale, but still, when you're renowned, for whatever it is that you do, and you're probably one of the best ones around doing that, people are gonna know. And so it takes me to point number one. If you've got your bulletin, it's right there. Jesus was famous. So fame is not a sin. It's not a sin to be famous. It's good to be well known. And Jesus was well known. I mean, you know the crowds followed Jesus everywhere? There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of people everywhere Jesus went. And actually the disciples liked the crowds. Because the Pharisees were waiting to get Jesus alone so they could kill him and kill the disciples. But there's thousands of people around all the time. And how do you attack a guy that the thousands of people like? So these Pharisees were like vultures waiting for this to happen. And so uh, he's the most quoted person in history. The most famous name probably in all of history on a worldwide basis. You loved him or hated him in his day, but you knew about him. Everybody had heard about Jesus. They'd heard that he was a crazy guy heard that he was a wonderful mural girl worker, and so God has something to say about that, and it's in Genesis chapter 12, verse two. This is when God calls Abraham, and he says, "I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing." Now it's kind of crazy we think be a blessing. that makes sense to us, but in Bible times, that didn't make sense, because in those days, nobody was a blessing to anybody. You weren't a blessing to your neighbors, to the neighboring countries. Maybe you agreed not to kill them and steal their women and children, but you nobody was a blessing that would actually help anybody else. That was just not the, how the world worked back then. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing. And so that would be a really a weird promise, but he says, I'm going to make your name great. Who has ever heard of Abraham before you came this morning? Amen. Looks like God kept his end of the bargain. Right. His name was great. And so... Uh, in Chronicles 14, it says, David was did as God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army. David's fame spread throughout history, every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. Do you know who said when they were in college, I'm someday going to be a household name? Did anybody, get, I caught the quote here a week or two ago, that when they were in college, they said, someday I'm going to be a household name. Anybody know who said that? No, it wasn't Bill Gates. I've, I, uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady said but to his parents when he was playing for Michigan, he says, someday I'm going to be a household name. And I'm sure his parents thought, oh, how cute. Our little college son thinks he's really going to be good. Well, it seems like he made it. Now, David becoming a household name was a real problem for him because his father-in-law, who was also his boss, what a weird situation to work in that. But David's uh, father-in-law, Saul, was not as popular as David, and they had these little songs that they would sing. And Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul, and Saul said, wait, I'm the king. And what are you attributing ten thousand to him and only a thousand for me? And it made him really, really jealous. And so when his fame got higher, people around him, they were jealous of his fame. And if you've ever been involved in office politics, you know exactly how that works. The better you do, the more everybody likes you. You've got petty people all around you. Not here, but always there. So, speaking of fame, Solomon comes along. Now, Solomon is David's son. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. During David's reign, Israel expanded to larger area than, than it had ever had. He was a great warrior. So he gets old and dies, and then Solomon comes in to take his place. Now, how would you like to be Solomon stepping into those shoes? It would be a scary thing. And so when David dies, Solomon becomes the king. And God appears to Solomon one night, the most interesting thing. And God says, Solomon, what do you want? Anything you ask, I'll give you. And if that, it's not like three genies, you know. God, anything? God says, anything you ask. I mean, that's quite an offer from the Lord. And so Solomon says, I'm a young man. To govern these people, this nation, they're as numerous as as the sand on the sea. He says, this thing's too much for me. I'm just a young guy. He says, God, what I need is wisdom and knowledge. And another translation says, Lord, I need a hearing heart. I don't know what I'm doing, and I need help. And God said to him, wow. I don't know that he said I didn't expect that answer, but God says, wow. He said, Solomon, you could have asked me for riches. You could have asked me for the neck of your enemies. You could have asked me for long life. You could have asked me for all kinds of things, but you didn't. And because you didn't, it takes us to 2 Chronicles 1. He says, I will certainly give you wisdom and knowledge, you, the, the knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you, or ever will have in the future, in Solomon's time, they would come from around the world to listen to this guy talk, because he could take complex problems that are just really, and and wrap them out and make them simple. Queen of Sheba, they would travel across the world to hear this guy talk. And God says, Solomon, I'm going to make you famous, and nobody's going to be like you before or since. And you're going to have wealth, and you, because you ask for wisdom more than all this other stuff, and so takes me to point number two John the Baptist did not allow fame to change the trajectory of his life see the trouble with fame with notoriety is it can change the direct trajectory of your life if I could say that would be nice it it, from, from away from God away from serving other people to be very very convoluted and it's all about me and how am I looking What's my image? What's my appearance? How's it coming across? What are they saying? What are they saying? And all of a sudden, you're all worried about you. Instead of your eyes on the Lord, instead of you helping people that actually got you famous, it turns away from that and focuses on you. This happened, it didn't happen to John the Baptist, and I want to tell you why. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. You know that. So John the Baptist goes out before Jesus, and, and he starts his ministry, John the Baptist had this incredible, he was kind of a weird guy. He ate funny food, he wore weird clothes, and he was out in the desert, and he was one of those old-time preachers crying in the wilderness, saying, repent, repent, repent. And people came out to listen to him by the thousands. And so he had these huge crowds, and he's baptizing them. And John the Baptist is saying, somebody's coming after I that I'm not worthy to to, to tie his shoes. Uh, he's, he's, He's coming with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus comes down there one day to the River Jordan where John's doing all this stuff. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Whoa, this is him. Yeah, yeah. And so Jesus comes to John. Now, again, before they had the days of uh, video links and all that kind of stuff and microphones, there Jesus comes to John and he says, John, I'd like you to baptize me. And now the people couldn't hear all this stuff going on and so John says, are you kidding me, Lord? You need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. Goodness gracious, I'm not worthy to do that. And Jesus says, no, it's necessary that all everything be fulfilled, that I get baptized. And John says, well, okay. Now again, picture yourself as one of the outsiders just looking in. So they've got this thing going, and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the, and so he says, and John baptizes him. And so you would think, wow, we got a big fish today. It's like the president came to church and he got baptized. He's one of us. Yay! <laughs> Things are on the roll. It's going to be a good year. And, and the, the dove comes and lands on it. Woohoo! I'm sure the iPhones were out taking pictures of all that to do it, put it on social media. And so... Uh, and so they think, Ben, we, we got a big one here. We got a big one. Good for us. See, and John had a whole organization. It wasn't just a yahoo out there yelling. He had disciples, people following him. He was training him, all this kind of stuff. And so it, it takes me to John chapter 3. Uh, this is a little while later. And they come to John. They called him rabbi. And he says, uh, you know, rabbi, uh, brother John, pastor John, whatever, the one you identified as the Messiah, we've heard he's baptizing and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. You know, John, the one you brought in, now he's got his own deal going. And it looks like even though Jesus wasn't, but his disciples were, they're baptizing, and now it seems like everybody's following him, and they're not coming to our church anymore. we got to do something about this. Anybody ever heard that kind of stuff? No. They're just not coming anymore, and I'll tell you what. they No, 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 that's what they were saying. And John... Good thing he understood stuff, because in verse 27, look what he replies back. John replied, whoa, whoa, whoa. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. John says, wait a minute, bud. Nobody can receive anything unless it's given to them by God. Tell you a story. My first pastorate, I went to Nogales, Arizona. Little bitty church, there were 10, 12 people there when I got there. And does anybody ever go to the church where they had those those Sunday school rolls registered on the wall, and you would put the numbers in? Uh, how many came every Sunday? Anybody ever go to those those old-time churches? that They used to do it. We did it. And so uh, we would, uh, and, and they counted Sunday school. They didn't count church because that was cheating, because if you were really dedicated, you go to Sunday school. Oh, my God, it was awful. But anyway, <laughs> you went to Sunday school, and so... Uh, and so we would run, you know, 10 or 12. And so the number's 10 or 12. And sometimes we'd hit 17. All right, that was a good Sunday. And one Sunday, I'll never forget it, we had 21, we broke 20. We had never broken 20 ever. And the lady would, I said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't put it up just yet. So after after what we call song service, after that time was done, I said, okay, we got a special announcement. And I had, they called her by name. I said, put the numbers up there and it was 21 and everyone cheered, yay, revival has hit the city. (laughs) Now we're in the big boy club. And that's because one guy with his five children came. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we started out very meager, very, very small and the Lord blessed and it wasn't long before we bought a building right on the main highway going out of town. And so we grew and developed and grew and developed. And over the, last, over the next several years, uh, the church did really well until we uh, became. Now, again, in Nogales, it, it's 95% Hispanic uh, surnames. And most people are at least bilingual. Many do not speak English at all. And so we began to grow as a church. And I was about the only Protestant pastor that spoke fluent English. And so we became the largest Protestant church in town. Oh yeah, we thought it was nice too, yeah. And so when they'd have those interdenominational meetings and all the pastors would get there and uh, me and my staff, I called them staff, I, they're really my entourage. <laughs> We'd come strolling in and I could hear, that's Pastor Giese from the, from the Nogales Assembly, that's Pastor Giese. And i and pretend I didn't hear him, but I did. And so I would strut around and just enjoy all the fame and glory. How I many you know it's a very small pond, but it is a big fish? You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to have it. It's, small ponds aren't bad. I keep telling you. And so anyway, so we're the, the cat's meow, as it were, and we're the moving and shaking and all that kind of stuff. And then I really did feel like the Lord was calling me to the Phoenix area. And I thought, man, that'll never happen. And sure enough, uh, we, we moved to this church called, it's called University Gardens. Doesn't that sound like the name of a funeral home? it did to me and I thought man this sounds like a mortuary's name so we're going to change the name from University Gardens we called it Word of Life and that was so spiffy back in the day that's back when everybody was Word of Life and this is pushing 40 years ago by the way guys and so we call it uh, we called it Word of Life and we put a little sign up there and I got all moved in and it didn't dawn on me that we were just down the street from this huge monolith called grace community church and there were about 10 people that moved from nogalas to tempe and there were about 10 people in that church There there is mighty 20 of us again and we were down the street from this huge church and there were thousands and thousands coming to every service and i thought oh my god what have i done and then we put our little children jeff was in kindergarten put our little children in the Christian school that was just down the street. And if you weren't around during the early mid-70s, mid early 80s, it's back when, when they used to have, during the worship time, they had the dancers and the, and the, and the flags and the, and the spindler, not spindler, but the people dancing all over. And so we had one little flag, dee, 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 we thought we were cool. And so I go to this Christian school where my kids are going to school, and they had a full production every Sunday. And I thought, oh, my word, we have stepped out of our league. And it wasn't long before the Lord began to tell me that they weren't really that good. They were carnal Christians at those places. Because <laughs> I'm not sure everybody at that, that grace community was speaking in tongues like they really should. And so I began to build these little conjectures in my mind. And I wonder, this is the truth, I went to Pastor Barnett's, he had a pastor school every year. And back in the days, a bunch of us were a lot younger than we are now. So he said to you young men, he says, young guys, I want you to keep this in mind. The churches that have large ministries and they really have great outreach. He says, don't criticize them. God's doing something in them. And he said, a man cannot have anything unless it's given to him by God. And when he said that, I remember John. I read the book of John many times, but it settled in my nickel dropped. That you can have nothing except to be given to you by God. So then I learned as the years go by that even look at that as politics and government. Well, I don't like them and I don't like them and I didn't vote for them. I might not have either, but they have nothing that God didn't put them in place. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> Read Romans 13. So that's what John says. And so my question to all of us is who are we looking to, Man? The man's going to affirm me all the things that I want, or to God. Maybe they took credit for your ideas. Maybe you didn't get the credit you deserved. And the things went the other way. You can't have anything except be given to you by God. So John goes on to say, he says, you know how I plainly told you I'm not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom Who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. He said, I told you I wasn't the Messiah. I'm not the bridegroom here. He is. I'm the best man and the best man is always glad just to stand next to the groom and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He says, because I told you before, I'm not the Messiah. I know my place, and I'm going to keep that and be very happy with that and rejoice when somebody else maybe has a bigger place than I do. Has God ever blessed somebody else when you thought he ought to have blessed you? Because after all, you're way more deserving. And John, he said, I just came to be a nobody. He said, I'm not the guy. I just came to prepare his way. And isn't it funny how he said, I'm not the no, and we're talking about John the Baptist 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years ago. We're talking about him today. Do you think anybody's going to be talking about us 2,000 years from now? I seriously doubt it. But John said, I just came to fill my little spot to be happy where God had planted me. And we're talking about the guy today. Then he goes on to say, verse 30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Another translation says he must increase and I must decrease. I'm not going to take time to read it, but in Judges chapter 9, there's a really interesting story. This guy by the name of Jotham, he was one of Gideon's sons, he gives a a parable. It's a a parable, not a real story. But he gives this parable, and he says, the trees of the field went out one day to get a king over them. And they went, first of all, to the olive tree. And they said to the olive tree, come and be king over us and reign over us. And the olive tree said, why would I leave what I do and and the oil that I produce that, that, that blesses God and man And come and reign over you. No, what I do is a really good thing. I'm staying right where I'm at. And then they went to the fig tree. And the trees of the field said, you come and reign over us and be our king. And the fig tree says, why would I leave what I do? My figs, the sweet fruit that I bring, it blesses God and man. Why would I leave that just to be your king? So then they went to the vine. And they said to the vine, come and reign over us. And the vine said, why would I leave the wine that I produce that blesses God and man to come and reign over you? He, they said, no, we're not going to do any of that stuff. Because see, see, fame has an illusion to it. Ah, take a step here. A promotion. Wow, you can be a corner office, a bigger name tag, more money. Whatever it is, it can suck you in and suck you dry if you're not watching it. It's the Peter Principle where you're promoted above your level of competence. You do a good job here, good job here. You must do a good job there. And sometimes people take a promotion because it's going to get them so they think the place they want to be and it eats you alive. You're no longer happy. You're no longer really good at what you do. you no longer bless God and men because you fell victim to the trap of fame. Jim Carrey. Not the Reverend Jim Carrey. The actor, Jim Carrey, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So says Jim Carrey. And God knows if Jim Carrey says it, it's true. <laughs> we quote these guys when we need to, you know, it helps our, it helps our point. Number three, are you with me so far? The first heart check question is, who are you representing? Excuse me. And again, it's not in your bulletin, because I thought of it after the bulletins were printed. So it's in Romans 10. Interesting, the first couple of verses here. Paul, the, the apostle, is saying, man, my prayer for Israel, my heart's desire for them, is that they find salvation. He says, because I know they have this, this incredible enthusiasm for God, but it's really misdirected zeal. For seeking to establish their own righteousness, they lose the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ that God has prepared for them. He's saying, I I, I feel for these guys because they're really working hard, working hard, working hard. And they're trying to get there, but they're trying to do it on their own. And they're offering, they're promising all this kind of stuff. They're offering all kinds of stuff and they're trying to establish themselves when really God has provided a way to be right with God that comes by faith in Jesus and he said it's a real tragedy that these people don't get that see the pathway to greatness is what serving jesus said to his guys anybody here want to be great and they were honest enough to say yes don't you want to be a great person to be a great father great grandfather great mom great grandmother great employee a great representation of your company yeah that's i hope you do and jesus said it comes that way by serving but not self-serving. See, self-serving is that guy on the job, and you all know him or her, that they are working, 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 and and they work hard, and they do this, and they do this, and they do this, and they're really not working for the company. They're trying to establish their name as somebody really valuable. And they're not serving anybody else at all. They're really serving their own career, their own plan, their own way, whatever, they wouldn't call it fame, but to be the biggest dog around. And that doesn't lead anywhere. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I could speak with the tongues of men and angels and did not love, did not serve, did not care, I'm a clashing cymbal, clanging gong and a clashing cymbal. It's irritating noise. If I had the knowledge and and I knew everything about everything, if I had the gift of prophecy and could say all kinds of things, if I had the faith to remove mountains, if I gave my body to be burned, but if I'm serving myself, it doesn't profit me anything. But if you're serving yourself, you might think you're moving right up the ladder, but people around know. They can sense it, they can smell it when it's not serving the goals of the company, the mission of, 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 the, of the plan, that it's self serving and it doesn't take you anywhere. Paul said it in Second Corinthians 5. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, I think truthfully we represent the Lord whether we want to or not. We represent him as someone who cares, as someone who forgives, as someone who is with them. Or we represent the Lord as this guy that's just too self-righteous to even care anything about except themselves. Number four, the second heart check question is whose approval matters most. Psychologists tell us that people with this incredible desire for fame has its roots in injury, in neglect, in rejection, unpleasable parents. Kind of the attitude, I'll show you. You see I'm not going to be much, I'll show you, I'll show you. The, fame, the, the this craving desire for fame, notoriety has its roots in a lot of that kind of stuff. Micro cravings for fame is when you overcommit. You just can't say no to anybody. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Oh, I'll, I'll yeah, I will, I will. Or FOMO, the fear of missing out. You're scared that death to say no and not be there because, after all, something may happen that you wouldn't know about, that you wouldn't be involved in. Way. Oversensitive to criticism. Many don't raise your hand, but anybody like that. Man, you let somebody criticize your work. Criticize what you do. And there may be hell to pay for that. Uh, Paul says in Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 4, we speak as messengers approved by God to be trusted, entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God not people, for he alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or from anyone else. See, it's not living for the approval of man, but living for the approval of God. See, I think you're made for more than just to get everybody on your side and uh, somehow give you a sense of notoriety. It's greater than that. We're not striving to become better celebrities, but submitting to become better servants. Not living for the applause of the culture, but for the approval of God. See, I would urge you, let God affirm you. Let God know who you are and whose you are. Let God know how deeply he cares for you. How much he loves you. How proud he is of you. But pastor, I've, been, I've made a lot of mistakes and done some things. Probably so. I know that because you're human. And if you think that God couldn't love anybody with lots of mistakes, that probably says a lot about how you think about things. But God can. And God does. And God is committed to you to help you. To be approved by God. It's good to have your parents' approval. That's great. Dad, mom, proud. That's great. But it's even better to have almighty God say to you, well done. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you're going to be. But I'm happy with you right here and now. Allow God to say that to you. Everyone is famous somewhere. What do you do with yours? Jeremiah, come on up. We're going to wrap it up. Everybody's famous somewhere. What do you do with yours? You've heard me say it. Power was not given to the powerful. It was given for the powerless. See, every one of us have leverage somewhere. You might control the money in your house. You might control the atmosphere. You might control the bedroom. But everybody has leverage. What do you do with yours? What do you do with the power you've been given? Is it so you can get your way? Or you can help people without really a voice? See, fame can help you or it can harm you. It depends on what you do with it. Proverbs 27, 19, an interesting verse says as a face is reflected in water so the heart reflects the real person ambition and death are never satisfied it's gonna verse 21 the purity of silver and gold is tested by putting them in the fire the purity of the human hearts are tested by giving them a little pain. You know, test of a human heart is not troubles and tribulations. Boy, and you get in there and you dig. No, 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 that's not it. You want to know what somebody's like? Give them a little fame. Give them a little power. Let them say to them, Solomon, whatever you want. All right. Solomon says, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need more than what I have. See what fame will do for you is to let you understand how incredibly grateful you are of the undeserving attention or maybe praise that you get. Or it'll say, it's about time. It's about time somebody knows what they had in me. Solomon, the, the guy that wrote this, the wisest man in the whole world, God said, he said the test of the human heart is fame notoriety Psalm 115 says not to us Lord not to us but to your name be the glory we used to sing that anybody remember those songs scripture songs not to us not to us but to your name be the glory anybody remember that old song probably not he said because your love because of your love and faithfulness. See, we're not called, really and truly, guys, we're not called to be famous. We're called to be faithful. It's well-done, good and faithful servant, not well-done, good and faithful superstar. Psalm 102 says, My life passes as quickly as the evening shadows now if you're young you don't believe that verse but when you get a little older you realize my word how time flies anybody know what I'm talking about can you believe it's Christmas already it should be May <laughs> and I don't like the next part of that verse he says like the evening shadows just I'm withering away like the grass and no we're not take a good look in the mirror (laughs) my dear gravity is at work in your life and your body if you know what i'm saying and we don't want to visualize any more than that withering away like the grass see that's what that's what the psalmist says he says man my life it's it's like it's like it's as swiftly as the evening shadows time's going by so fast and it seems like i'm kind of withering away but then what he says but you O lord Will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You, O oh Lord, you sit on your throne forever. Life for us comes and it goes, ebb and flow, up and down. He says, But you, O oh God, you endure forever. Your fame will last to every generation said unto a child to be born and the government is going to rest on his shoulders and of the increase of his government there is not going to be an end that when Jesus came it was said of him Isaiah the prophet prophesied that and it says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this that his grand and glorious kingdom will grow and multiply and multiply until it fills the whole earth Christianity is not in desperate trouble about to end we don't know what we're going to do God says no it's not of the increase of my government God said there's not going to be an end to that that's what I put my hope in and I think that's what you could put your hope in too if you've never opened your life to Christ you could do that right now You can say, Lord, I need you. I'm really stuck on myself. I need the help that you bring. You can decide to follow Jesus right where you sit. Days gone by and it's fine. We used to come forward and raise our hand and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But you don't have to do that. You can decide right where you're at, or even online. Maybe you're watching this video days later, weeks later. You can open your life to Christ because God designed for you to hear what you're hearing, when you hear it. Lord, here I am, Open my life to you. So why don't you do that as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for these dear people that are here. Lord, for the fame that all of us enjoy in very small circles. We appreciate your hand of blessing we appreciate your hand, handle oh lord of enablement that you do help us so lord this morning as for some of us we open our lives to you again for the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever so lord as we do that i pray that you would bless and honor your people in jesus strong name i pray amen